got a great sound to play in Hello? Have you ever snubbed a lady? Um, we had a technical problem. Are we on? Yeah. Put her on there. Can I swear? Shit! Oh, yeah. Hello and welcome to Crunch and Roll. I'm John Fox. Did some breakfast shows across the UK and uh, more recently some work for the BBC. Now, today's episode features someone who once did the job that I went on to do, but uh, yeah, he had a lot more listeners, didn't he? It's Elliot Webb. Now, his career can be split into two parts, before BRMB and after, but uh, there's a lot going on in both. Put on air as a kid after dissing his hometown station to its boss and sacked for gross misconduct and accidentally taking a station off air with sand. And that's all last millennium. Now, we do go big on the mighty BRMB, though, including a certain controversial on-air competition. Now, before we start, if you enjoy the pod and would like to support it, we are now on Ko-fi. Just need to head to ko-fi.com forward slash crunch and roll. You can buy us a coffee or preferably something stronger. That is ko-fi.com slash crunch and roll. Just say thanks to Owen Ralph and James Masterson and uh, the amazing Simon Green and the incredible previous guest Jim Colson for their recent generous support. We love you all. Right, let's crunch and roll. Oh, yeah. Elliot, how are you? I'm very well, thank you very much, yeah. Um, I'm quite looking forward to this, I'll be honest, because um, well, I don't really talk about radio a lot, apart from with one or two people, and it's all the same old moans, so it'd be quite good moaning with someone else. Looking forward to it. Have you have you never talked about your career before? Um, a bit, but but not loads. If I'm, I'm being honest, I've I've done <laughs> I've done the Radio Times a couple of times. It, it, wow. it goes on a a bit of a loop, really. I think they just run out of people, particularly in local radio at the BBC now. I mean, that's a diminishing pool. Mm, controversial <laughs> straight off the bat. Um, so sort of every three or four years, you get an email going, would you like to be the voice behind, the face behind the voice on uh, in the radio title? Yeah, I'll do it again, yeah. And then you've got to try, go back and read the one, because inevitably you've saved it. Of course you have. Uh, and you go back and see what rubbish you said last time and try and say some different rubbish this time around. So uh, is this, is, is this going to be as highbrow as the Radio Times, though? Absolutely not. <laughs> Good, OK, I'm in then, I'm in. I mean, we did just establish that we're based in Solihull and you're a Mosley. And, mm. I mean, we could have just met halfway. It would have been a lot easier Which to do is, this in the pub, wouldn't pub, it? shouldn't we, really? There's literally nothing else in Mosley <laughs> apart from pubs now and, and Turkish barbers. So we could have either had a haircut or, <laughs> well, I, uh, or a I'm pint. Out. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you are. Yeah, sorry. Do, yeah, do you know what's point. interesting? I mean, having spoken to, to a lot of people, you are so well known within the industry. Really? You really, I mean, everybody knows Elliot Webb. They know your name. Yeah, I, it's a funny one, really. I, I don't I don't sometimes think I've got that high a profile because I've always just sort of got on with it. And and I think, and I'll be honest with you, and I feel bad saying this, I never really wanted to do this. I've sort of, I just fell into it. So the, the kind of endless chat about jingles and compression and studio kit and I'm thinking about Steph now obviously you know because she's lovely and she will talk forever about that sort of stuff and I like it to a point but I just oh you know so so maybe that's maybe that's it I don't know maybe, maybe I just don't anorak enough um, but I, I, I love do you know what the thing is I, I, when I lo- when I didn't do this because there was a little period when I lost my job when you know all the BR&B stuff which I'm sure, sure we'll get to when I got to the end of that and I, I dodged no, enough bullets and couldn't dodge anymore there was a period when I didn't do it, and I think that made me realise how much I liked it. It was really you kind of I had to lose it to sort of go. Actually, do you know what? 
I really miss this. Uh, it's a job, isn't it? It's, it's a job, but it's a job that you really love. And and day, there are days when I can't stand it, and I wish I did something else. And there, are, but then I wouldn't want to not do it. You know, it's really weird. It's it, it's a bit like an abusive relationship, isn't it? Radio, I think it's a funny old thing. So um, right back to the start, you're a Worcester boy. Worcester boy, yeah. Which I yep. mean, I, I live not too far from Worcester, and I, I love nice. the place. God, so God, God's own shire. That's what's what it is. It's, a, it's, <laughs> it's a, you know, it's a, and it's a funny old place, isn't it? Because usually people are going through Worcestershire to go somewhere else. It's sort of it is, it is one of those. I suppose it's a bit like yeah, suburbs of London. It's a sort of backwater, but you are on the edge of quite a big city. So, um, yeah, and I, I grew up there and went to school there and, and did all of that thing, and that and and it was. That was how I got into radio. I fell into it in Worcester. I went to school. Um, I went to the went to that again. That was quite lucky. I, I went to the grammar school. They had the eleven plus, and I got into the grammar school. Wow. And we were the last year to blag it in for free. <laughs> and then it became quite a posh boys school, which was quite yeah. expensive fee paying. So I basically <laughs> got a posh boys education for no money, which my dad was delighted about. And then and then he could promptly pissed it all up the wall by working in radio for a living. Um, <laughs> So yeah, and, and the way I, and, and this is, I've told this story to various people, but we'll put it on the record. I was genuinely discovered in a cafe, and there are there are sort of two versions of this story, and I, and I, and I don't know which one I like more. So I was always I was interested in music and tunes and stuff, and I, I did the thing that most people in our industry do. So I was, I was in my bedroom making cassettes and things, and just mucking about with mates and playing a few tunes and titting about on tape. So I, I, there was that bit of me. So I like, I did like that, but I wasn't like a burning radio anorak. And I did a bit of, I did a disco at school. So I used to do a bit of DJing with a friend of mine. He had the kit and I had the records and we used to go and do people's sort of 16th and 17th birthday parties and because their parents were quite well off, we'd, you know, make a few quid out of it. So... Um, that, that was sort of how that that DJing thing started. And I was all right at it, and people sort of quite liked the parties. And basically, I was the only kid doing it in the school, so you'd get booked for it, and I had a bit, little bit of a name doing that around, the, around Worcester. So I was, I was at my school, and we were a boys' school, and next door to us was a girls' school. I mean, the two have merged now. It's RGS Worcester, but it was originally it was, a, it was the grammar school and the Alice Otley next door to each other. So being, you know, young young boys of a certain age interested in the opposite sex, we'd always try and meet the girls at lunchtime and we'd go to this little cafe. So I was in there, we'd done this, we'd done this party at the weekend at one of the, the, the discos I'd done. And it was probably a bit crap, but I was giving it the, you know, the, the, the Billy Big Bollocks, you know, in the, in the cafe going on about, yeah, I'm a great DJ and trying to sort of show off to the girls. And then this really strange guy wearing, and I'm, I'm not joking about this, he was wearing almost like a sort of, an SS leather jacket, sort of full-length <laughs> leather coat, comes sidling over to me with a business card. Uh, and he's like, um, here we go, are you a DJ? And I'm, well, I'm, well, not really. No, I'm a schoolboy. I'm a school uniform mate. But yes, I do a bit of DJing. And he said, oh, I'm, I'm Norman Bilton. I'm the, the boss of the commercial radio station, which was Radio Wyvern, which was literally down the road from where we were. So he gave me his card and said, oh, you know, have you thought about doing any any radio and I'm like no I'm barely thinking about doing my A-levels mate but you know okay so I took the card and and I stuck it in my pocket and I sort of forgot about it to be honest and then we had to do some work experience we had to sort of it was that thing you know where you have to I think within lower six or something like that where you have to do go and organise a bit of work experience so I found this card and I thought okay I, I literally didn't really know what I wanted to do 
So I thought, well, I'll, I'll go down and see this mad, crazy bloke and see what that's all about. So I went down, and it was probably one afternoon. It might have been sort of two or three o'clock. And I, I went in there. I was, I was, I'd gone from school, and the, he, he got me in his office, and it was his big... The, Wyvern was his beautiful old Georgian terraced house that they turned into the, the, the radio station. And it had the studio. I and mean, the studios were beautiful. They were really, really nice. It was it was only about six or seven years old at this point, so it was it, they'd spent a lot of money on it. So it was quite an impressive. Well, the, the actual offices were horrible, but the studios were lovely. So I went into this this office and go, went and saw him, had a chat with him, and that he sort of asked, starts asking me all these questions about what do you listen to Radio Wyvern? Do your friends listen to Radio Wyvern? And that you know that sort of ridiculous arrogance of youth, particularly going to a posh school, you sort of it does sort of make you quite cocky. And I was I was ridiculously cocky, and I was like, no, no one listens to Wyvern. It's rubbish, mate. We all listen to Radio. Why are you mad? This is Radio One. It's crap. This, <laughs> and I was just so honest with him. And he, um, he was like, so he's scribbling away, making notes, and he's like, oh, okay, well, you know, well, what, what could you do then? What could you help us with? Could you bring us, you know, some, some something that your friends are interested? in? And I'm like, yeah, obviously, yeah, I could do this. You know, bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. And um, so he said at that point, he went, right, well. Do you want to pop down and speak to? And he had his secretary take me down. And said, "Do you want to go and speak to the DJ who's on air?" And they put, they actually put me on air then, and no. said, "Just do a bit, not not DJ." <laughs> he he said, "Right, I'm, I want you. To, I want to hear you on the radio." So he inter- they got the put the poor bloke who was doing the drive time show. Um, it was I can't remember Phil somebody, Phil Phil Miles I want to say. And I'm sorry, mate, if you if you're still around and listening to this, because he he looked, he was like, "What the hell is going on?" I'm playing a few <laughs> tunes. I'm doing my job, and there is a schoolboy now being wheeled in by the boss, and I've got to interview him. And, and he'd said to me before, the boss had said to me, "Well, you know, make sure you make a good show of yourself and present yourself and speak a bit." And so I just went this great big long, just a bit like this, just carried on waffling for for about three or four minutes. And he asked me a couple of follow up questions, and I sort of came out of there, and that was it really. And he went, oh, okay, lovely, nice to meet you. <laughs> and I went, and I thought that is the weirdest thing ever. And then about two days later, he rang me up at home at my dad's house, and uh, it was it was his secretary, and said, oh, yes, we were very impressed with what you did the other day. Uh, would you like to do the Saturday morning show? Wow. And I'm like, well, I didn't do anything. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm bloody 16, I'm, I'm 17 or whatever it was. I, I have no clue. Oh, yeah, well, we'll train you for a little bit. So I went in and had a, about, you know, four or five days of, of sort of crash course of how to use a studio and do bits and pieces. And it it wasn't just me. So the Saturday morning show, I mean, again, one of the most stupid, difficult things you can do is a multi-headed programme, isn't it? You find out as you get older and you go through a career and you understand how radio works. Multi-people talking is difficult. So they threw four people on air who had none of us had a clue. There was me, there was um, a chap called Simon who drove the desk, who chipped in occasionally. There was the receptionist called Claire, who, who was lovely but daft as a brush. And the, 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 one of the newsreaders called George, who was Canadian, who none of us had anything in common. And it was an absolute car crash. It was <laughs> terrible. And that was my baptism of, of fire into radio. So we did that. Um, and, and again, I was saying that at the, 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 at the beginning, the two, the two versions of this are, I've heard, I've heard both of this, was that he was just a bit bonkers. Um, Norman, Norman Bilton, bless him, he's no longer with us. And he just sort of liked the idea of finding just ta- raw talent. But the other version I've heard of it was he had a, a row with Sammy Southall, who was the top DJ on Wyvern at the time and he's sort of the head of presentation. And they'd had this de- debate about how 
you know, presenters a talent and it's, you have to have raw talent to do it. And they would had this sort of, you know, you know the film Trading Places where they've gone, right, I'll show you, I'll just find some random and throw him on the radio. And I, I sort of hope that's what the actual truth of it is because it's so bonkers. And that was how I got into it. So, and we did this show, this terrible, they could, they could call it the Saturday, the Saturday morning zoo crew. Oh. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it was awful. Um, um, and I did that for about four weeks, and they, they obviously thought even even with the best will of the world, they thought we can't let this carry on because it's it's pants. And again, so I thought, okay, that's that. Then that was fun. Uh, better concentrate on doing my A levels now. I'm thinking about going to university. And and bugger me, they rang up again about a week later and went, <laughs> well, we thought you were the standout person of the, 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 the team. So would you like to do a Wednesday evening show between nine and ten? It's like you had the chance to get rid of me. <laughs> So I, I came in and started doing um, nine till ten, playing indie tunes, being a sort of you know a, a West Midlands teen, teenage John Peel light. And it was rubbish again. It was rubbish, John. It was rubbish. I was terrible. So did you, did, did you miss uni then? Did you skip uni because you got into Wyvern? Yeah. So I did. So I did that. I did that Wednesday for a bit. And inevitably, if you do something a bit, you get better, don't you? So I got a bit better. And then I started doing Fridays for an hour. This was in the day when, you know, in the days where they had little random shows they could put people on and train people up on. So I did that. And then, yeah, I think I did the evening show because they, the guy who did the evening show left. We didn't leave. No one ever left Wyvern. You all got sacked. Everyone got sacked from Wyvern. So he got sacked and went. And I was there in like a cheap solution. So I, they put me on air and I thought, well, I'll, I might as well just do it because it's such a weird thing and I've fallen into it and it, you know, I, I was quite enjoying it and it could go somewhere, I don't know. So I deferred for a year. I was supposed to go to, to Trent Poly, as it was then, to go and do mechanical engineering with a view to taking over my father's engineering business. And instead, I asked around playing radio for the last <laughs> 35 years nearly. <laughs> he, still, he still thinks I'm going to get a proper job one day. It's not <laughs> going to happen day. though, no, it's too late now. <laughs> one day. Can you remember <laughs> how much you got paid on that first gig, Elliot? I don't know what the shift rate was, but I found... I, I was clearing out a load of old paperwork the other day and I found an early um, tax return. I think my first... Because they, they didn't employ anybody then, but they gave me a contract. So this was for six days a week as well. So it was evenings and whatever I did. I can't remember what I did at the weekend, but something. And general dog's body and having to be in there eight hours a day. It wasn't show and go. I think I was on about five and a half grand. It was 1989. I mean, what would I spend it on? I'd only gone down the pub. So, you know. Is this going out or is it just in our headphones? The house is fine. It was a technical problem. You heard something on air you shouldn't have done. Oh, yeah. All right, so Radio Wyvern, and then, I mean, we say this to all the guests, but forgive our research, it's always pretty poor. But, I mean, Seven Sound is mixed in there as well. So is that after Radio Wyvern? Yeah, well, inevitably, as I said a second ago, you can't leave Wyvern, you get sacked. You have to get sacked. So I had a disagreement, and it was quite a big disagreement, actually, with Sammy Southall, Saint Sammy Southall. I can't really remember what it was about. I think I think I might have said the music was crap and, and, and it was I didn't want to play that or something, and it escalated into a row. And as I said, I was a cocky little dickhead. So I, we, it ended up getting quite personal, and which is fair enough. I mean, I was an idiot, and they, they sort of said, well, he went and told the boss, and the boss... I was at home, and I got a... I got a letter, the, 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 I got a hand-delivered letter from the company secretary saying, the boss wants you to have this. I'm like, what is it? He went, well, open it. And, I, and it was, I had to go to a formal meeting. For, no. And I got sacked for gross misconduct. Wow. 
first job. I know. And I, I remember being, and again then, I remember thinking, God, maybe I like this more than I thought, because I was, I was devastated. I was properly upset about it. I've been very, very lucky. I've been so lucky, because I, I, about two weeks before I'd met this guy, We'd, we'd gone out to the pub and we'd met this randomly met this guy I got chatting to who happened to be the program controller of, of um, Seven Sound down the road in Gloucester, I think uh, Roger, Roger Tavell. And I got chatting to him and he sort of said, oh, if ever you fancy a bit of work and, you know, if, if you don't want to stay at Wyvern. And at that point, I, you know, I was like, well, I'm quite happy here. This is, this is fun. I could live at mum and dad's and it's easy and, you know. Uh, and then suddenly I'm needing a job, so I rang him up and went, oh, Roger, you know that chat we had? <laughs> And they were about to split. You know that time when everyone they were you had to split FM and AM, didn't you? So they wanted extra, extra presenters to do um, programs. So I ended up doing the uh, late show on on Seven Sound, which was yeah, I, I wasn't there very long. It was quite good. I quite enjoyed it because it was a bit different, um, and it was a different time of day. And w- working night times is a I've not done loads of it, to be fair, but it's a, it's an extraordinary time to be on working late at night. It's a, quite a quite an eye opener to to the uh, the strangeness of the British population. But that was that was quite fun. So I did that for a bit, and then but but I was make I'd been making tapes as well. That's what you start doing, isn't it? Of course, you start sending tapes out and making tapes, and the tapes were getting all right by this point. And I send I wasn't sending loads out. Uh, I went sending a lot to Metro and Capital and a bit to Radio One, um, and. Which is probably way above what I shouldn't have been. What was I even doing at that point? Sending those kind of people, um, but I sent one to MFM to Marcher because I knew a few people who'd gone there. I'd worked with um, do you remember Chris Farrell, who was a, he ended up on Heart, didn't he, in London? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he'd worked at Wyvern for a bit, and he had just gone to MFM, and, and Toulon was there, wasn't he, as well? And those two worked, were mates, so and they were doing bits and bobs there. So I thought, oh, MFM sounds quite good. I'll I'll bung a tape off there. And and that's that's where I ended up next in in lovely North Wales, in the valleys. And it was so, it literally is in a valley, isn't it? Almost it's it's, in, it's on the road to Mould, which I was like, what? There's a place called Mould. There is. I mean, it's a, you mentioned some stellar presenters there. It must have been an amazing lineup when you went to MFM. Uh, who was doing breakfast? Was it Dara, Dara Corcoran? Corcoran. So I think he was on breakfast. Yeah, Chris was on afternoons. I think or drive. And I think, I don't know if it was Toulon actually there full-time or was he just sniffing around? I can't remember. He might have been doing a week, bit of weekend stuff or something. And I, was, I did the evening show for a bit. It was a funny one because it's, it's, it's a weird time, that, because you sort of leave home, don't you? So it's, it, there was a lot going on there. That was like, seven sound, I could still stay at mum and dad's. This was a sort of, it's a new job. It's, and I wasn't very well travelled as a kid. I, I hadn't really gone very many places and done very much. Uh, yeah, Worcester, Worcester drags you back. You'll find this. You'll never be able to leave. You won't get out of there, Fox. You know you're in Worcestershire. I'll see you there forever, mate. I was, I, I was, I was going to ask what was it like to move away from home and then, and you know, to be on air because we've talked to previous guests and I, I did it myself. You know, I moved away from Hull at Viking, yeah. moved down to to, to Reading, two ten FM, and it's a you don't know the area, which I always find takes yeah. a bit of time, and you've got no friends. I was always fortunate to be in, with another guy, which. Not in a relationship, but as a, as a, as on a companion, yes, you know, yeah, and yeah, yeah. so that that was nice. But moving away is it's a scary thing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I went. I ended up in this again. I had no money. The money was rubbish, so you had to get digs, and basically it was just this. It was, and I had to do it quickly. They went, they put me. I think they put me on a bed and breakfast for about three nights, and I had to find somewhere. And I found this gr- really, really grotty place. And I went in there. I'll never forget walking in and thinking, and it was all I could afford. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll have it. And it was cold, it was dark, it was damp, it was horrible. 
and this was on, like, I don't know, the Thursday or the Friday. So I spent one night in there. I thought, I hate this. I actually hate this. I went and did the programme. And then I drove back to Worcester Jeez, for the yeah. weekend. <laughs> and and, and mum's like, what was it like? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's all right, mum. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. <laughs> and, and so it came roll, roll around to sort of Sunday night and I had to go back up. And uh, so mum sort of packed me off. And even she, she said this, she says this to me now. She's like, I'll never, I'll never forget when you left. You looked so sad. And I was so worried about you. And, and then I got back. And because it was a it was a house share basically, and and I'd only just taken a room in it, and this guy, who turned out worked in he, he I didn't know I didn't know this because I'd literally been in the radio station for about a week at this point, and it was a lad called Fred Fred Martin. Again, he's no sadly no longer with us. He was a he was a commercial producer there. I mean, he, he did some he's done a bit of presenting or did do a bit of presenting as it goes over the years, but he. He was a bit older than me, and he he'd come into the house and he'd made it nice and he'd brought heaters in and lamps and sort of made the lounge livable. And it was like, oh my, this is this is more like it. And he was a lovely <laughs> bloke, and and that was, I suppose, I was again, I wasn't at MFM for very long, about probably six months. But it was sort of that was like my student experience living with Fred in this house. Um, our next door neighbours who owned the same, it was a, a, a semi-detached thing, and they owned the house next door as well. They lived in it. They were Jehovah's Witnesses, right? And so they would they would go around doing the watchtower thing on everyone apart from us because they knew we weren't interested and they didn't want to piss us off because we were paying the rent. So it was they were mad. Everyone around there was mad. There was a pub in the in the valley which used to do lock-ins every single night. So we would just go there. I'd finish at 10 o'clock. I'd meet Fred in there. We'd get absolutely roaring until about one in the morning. Um, the ceiling fell in. One one day, another guy moved into the house who was a bingo caller from Liverpool who used to have <laughs> vigorous, loud sex with his girlfriend in, in his loft room all day and night. And and then we and we, we used to make up... We used to have fondues. Me and, me and Fred regularly. Yes. He introduced me to a, to a fondue which was more booze than cheese. And and I, ever since then, God bless him, I've a lot of love of booze and cheese. So uh, thank you. It was, I, and even, and do you know what? It was uh, that, that was that was probably more. I had more fun in the house than I probably did on the radio. MFM was a funny old thing. It was. It's a great big station, isn't it? It's a big old transmitter, and it sort of booms out into Liverpool and stuff. And I don't remember loads about it, if I'm being honest. Apart from, I I got on air. The one day, and I think I'd been on one of these sessions, and I was a bit hungover and wasn't really concentrating. And I said, and sometimes I was pissed off. And I actually said the word, and I thought, oh, shut the fader, play a song, <laughs> wait for the wait for the phone to ring. And it did. About three or four lights lit up. And I thought, oh god, here we go. So I answered one of them. And it's this guy from listening from Liverpool. He's like, all right, mate, you the DJ? I'm like, yeah, yeah. So did you just say? Did you just swear? Did you say pissed? I was like, yeah. He said, do more of that. Fucking great. <laughs> so, and that's my overriding memory of uh, of my good times at uh, at MFM. But it was yeah, it was short lived really because and then because I'd been sending all these tapes off, and one of the tapes I'd sent before I'd gone to MFM, I'd sent to Metro, and I got the call from them, and I, I got I got and I got all excited. I think oh, I'm going to Metro. I'm going to Metro. Oh great! I'm going to go and work. It was, it was again a massive station, Huge, and they yeah. were just building their empire like Capital was at that point because they were going more music, weren't they? They all the needle time restrictions are gone. You could play loads of music. Yeah, they were, everyone was sort of ramping up to the hot jocking thing that sort of went mad in the the, the late eighties, early nineties kind of thing, and. Uh, I was a bit disappointed when I got the letter back going, yes, it's, it's Metro, but we want you for Bradford. 
yeah. And a boy from a boy from Worcester didn't even know where Bradford was or what it was. So it was. I ended up having to meet Alan Ross, who was a program controller, at a, a motorway services somewhere on. I can't even remember where it was. In the M6 or the M62 or somewhere, somewhere glamorous. And, you know, he, he sort of pitched this vision to me of, because it was Pennine then at that point, of course, and it was, we, we're going to blow it up and it's going to be a complete, you know, year zero and it's going to be nothing like it is. Because I said, oh, should I, should I listen to it? He's like, whatever you do, don't listen to it now because it's going to be nothing like that. It's going to be <laughs> hot and it's going to be like capital. So as soon as they sort of said that, I was in because I, I, I loved all of that. Because although I was an anorak when I was a kid, when, once I got into it, I thought I better do a bit of anoraking. And Sean Tilly worked at Wyvern a little bit yes. when I was there. And he showed me, you've just gone, Sean Tilly. Everyone's got a Sean Tilly story. Oh, absolutely. Sean, yeah. Sean Tilly told me this trick. If you drive somewhere along the Malverns, right, <laughs> which is, if you don't know, the Malverns are a great big range of hills in Worcestershire. Yeah. It's, it's about 20 foot off being a mountain. So it's a big, really big hill. And there's one road along there. On a certain day, if you park your car right, you can pick up capital. So I used to do it. I used to drive up <laughs> and listen to Dr. Fox doing Fox's jukebox and stuff. And like, I, I, I loved it. And I, I thought, I want a bit of that. So yeah, I ended, up at, um, I ended up at Pennine, as it was. But we didn't, I was never on Pennine. We had this lovely thing where we got kind of, and I've never, I've never really had anything like it since. Actually, they, you know, as you just said a minute ago, you you end up getting parachuted into these local areas. It's local radio, and you know nothing about the patch. But they they spent about two three weeks just sending us around all over the place, and and they put us up in hotels. And, and this wasn't just in Bradford; it was obviously in the whole patch. And we got sent all over the place. We went up to Metro, and. Uh, I had an audience with uh, Giles Squire, you know, obviously, and that uh, it was like meeting the Pope, and, and, he, yeah. and he was a legend, wasn't he, Giles? He was, yeah, a, yeah. that was terrifying, and he gave us all the, you know, the vision because at that point they had, so it was Hallam, was it Hallam Viking, uh, Pennine, Metro, have I missed any? And all the the, the 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 AMs, and they were building the yeah all of the, all of the FMs were sort of be, being made hot, weren't they? And But Pennine, I think the figures were pen up for Pennine were so terrible that they decided to just start again and that was the only one they completely relaunched and that was the that was the Pulse. Not Pulse FM, as we were told, the Pulse. <laughs> well, you, I mean, you spent some time there and, and then you eventually get breakfast on the Pulse. Mm. Yeah, I started on evening. Well, I st actually, the, I very, the, the thing that keeps coming round, this is like, you know when you go and see bands and they've got one big hit, and and you think they must be so sick of playing this. My, my my radio version of that is the opening of the Pulse. Every year it comes round on air check download or something. Oh, here it is again. Here it is again. <laughs> Me sounding squeaky and excitable. Um, but it's I it's a lovely thing, I suppose. It's um, I, I I was the first voice on it because they had an early breakfast show. Then it was I think I did five till seven. And the breakfast started at seven, so I was technically the first person on. Um, and yeah, it was it was all just sort of high energy, hot jocking, and and lots of hyperbole and nonsense. But yeah, and and that was sort of I suppose really that was where I got serious about it. It was because by that point I'd been doing it for what was this probably three years. So it was at this point it was like well look I you know I'm not going to go to university clearly am I? So I need to make a living at this, and I probably ought to concentrate and be a bit better at it because I was I was still just fannying about really and just having a good and, and I think again I'm lucky because I was I was all right at it I was getting given decent jobs and I, 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 I sometimes have a bit of imposter syndrome with this because there are people who have worked a lot harder really they genuinely have and I seem to have lucked into some quite good gigs but 
I, I just sort of, yeah, I thought, well, this is good and I enjoyed doing it. And I did that for a bit. And then the evening show came up and that was Steve Martin came in. Because Alan Ross, the guy who hired me, he, he went pretty quickly. And then Metro brought in, because the launch didn't go quite how they wanted it to. I don't think they were very happy with it. So Metro parachuted in Steve Martin, who came from Metro. And he worked really closely with Giles. So he was, you know, Giles Mark II, basically. And he was brilliant. He was the first person really who kind of taught me radio, I think. You know, the actual, other than, you know, one thought, one link, and think of your best mate when you two, yeah, that, that's the real basics, isn't it? But he sort of made me go away and listen to some stuff and explained a bit more of the nuance and craft behind it, I think. And and by that point, I sort of had a bit more experience. So I think, yeah, I, th- I thought about it a bit more at the Pulse. Um and, and yeah, I did evenings for a bit, which was great. And then, yeah, it, it was Steve, bless him. I was only, what would I have been, 23, I think. And the one day just took me up to the boardroom and, and I thought I was going to get on looking for something because I usually did. And he just sat me down and went, I think you might be ready for breakfast. And I'm like, no, I've had it. I'm like, all right, Steve, I've eaten. <laughs> no, 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 breakfast show. I'm like, whoa, oh, hang on. Shut the front door. So that was, yeah, and that, and that was and that was it really. And and then he put me on with. I mean, it was a classic, you know, boy girl double header thing. Um, and he found me a, uh, this girl called Debbie Lindley who was doing bits and pieces at the radio station. And I mean, she was lovely. She was great. Um, she went on to do uh, telly. She did. Um, she was a weather girl for YTV and did, did bits and pieces. Um, lovely. And we we we. It was quite a funny one, actually, because I, I wouldn't say we were best mates, because sometimes you have those double acts where you're best mates and it's really, really good. I don't think we were. We were quite competitive. She was really... She wanted to be a star, and at this yeah. point I decided, right, I'm going to take this seriously, so I'm going to be bloody good at this as well. So we were a bit... not. We, we weren't... I don't think we were really horribly competitive, but we were that, the right side of competitive to sort of, you know, G each other up and, 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 and get each other going a bit. So I think that probably helped. Um... And and yeah, and that was I suppose really the first big breakfast show. I, well, it was the first breakfast show I did, but it was the first sort of one that I really got my teeth into and and thought, yeah, I can probably have a go at this. And I, and I like I like the time of day. I like being on at that time. It's a it's a you. Are, I think you breakfast shows. You either love them or you don't. It's, it's people, you can yeah. do them or you can't do them. And I, I that's my favourite. It's even now it is. It's, it's rubbish hours, and you feel jet lagged hundred percent of the time. But I, it's just just if you're going to do it, I think it's the best show to be on. I also think you need to be a certain type of presenter to be able to be successful at breakfast, which obviously you went on to be very successful at breakfast. But before you were given the breakfast show, did you ever dream of being the the breakfast presenter? Not really, no. I've I've been quite... Do you know what? I've sort of... Maybe I should have had more of a plan. I've never had much of a plan. I've always just thought, well, I'm I'm enjoying myself and I'll just get on with it. I've I've always wanted to do well, don't get me wrong, but I've, I've never sort of... I mean, now, now I would, yeah. I mean, with hindsight, you sort of sit back and this is why it's quite interesting picking over this because I've never really done it in in this sort of detail. You do sort of sit and think, well, yeah, obviously that's the sort of show you want to do because A, it suits you and B, it's going to get you on to the next thing. But I don't think I had that much of a plan at that point. And also you're still very new at it. I was 23, 24 so I was always terrified of other people coming up and being better than me. And, and then bloody Moyles arrived, um, <laughs> you know. And that, actually, that was hilarious as well because Moyles turned up and he was 
was I think I'm about four years older than Moyles. So he would I was 23, 24. And at that point I was considered one of the sensible, safe pairs of hands on the radio station. And there's Moyles turning up, you know, almost in his school uniform. And uh he wasn't very good. I, I, I'm sure he won't mind me saying this. He was on evenings and he was doing music. He was jocking, right? Yeah. And it was not great. I went home the one day and Steve Martin rang me up and he said, oh, um, do you mind taking Chris out for a drink and just have a chat with him and sort of tell him what the vibe is about the radio station? I'm like, okay, all right, fair enough. So I uh, did. We went to a pub around the corner and we had a chat. And I mean, I think we just ended up having a drink, really, and I just chatted to him and stuff. Um, and then I went on holiday. I was away on holiday for about two weeks or something. And I came back, and I remember coming back from the airport and putting the radio on. And Chris was on, this first thing I heard, and he, was not, he wasn't jocking, he was doing Chris. Yeah. And I was like, shit, this is good. <laughs> Obviously, I didn't say that. I was like, it's rubbish. <laughs> He's still rubbish. He didn't listen to me at all. I mean, it was your fault. Yeah. <laughs> but I, no, look, I wouldn't, and I would never, ever, ever, ever take credit for any of it because I don't I remember what I said to him. I don't think I even said to him to be yourself and be normal. I can't, I genuinely can't. All I remember is going to the pub and I just remember thinking, I wish I had said some sage things that I could claim some credit for it, but I can't. But um, I just remember thinking, God, this is really good. Um, and I wish I wish my show was as good as this. Um, and, and yeah, and like the rest is history, isn't it, really, with, uh, with, with Moylesy? But it was, um, he used to, what was really funny was, so I was doing breakfast at that point, and, I, and he was doing the evening show, and I would be sort of sitting watching telly or something, and, and the phone, the house phone would go, and it would be bloody Chris, and he would just li literally ring you up. I'd be having my tea or something, and the phone would go, I'd pick you up, and he wouldn't, like, you'd be live on air. And he'd had, he had this bloody air horn all the time. He's like, ah, ah, oh, Christ, it's Chris. Hi, Chris, you're live on the pulse, don't swear. Ah, and then start, he'd launch into some stupid quiz or something he'd do with you. Uh, and you'd play along with it, and then it'd happen the next night. And, then, and I said to him, right, Chris, if you ring me again, I'm going to say fuck. Literally, the first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to pick the phone up, and go, fuck off, Chris. <laughs> and he didn't ring again. <laughs> We're having a party. Oh, yeah. Alongside working at the Pulse and working with Moyle Z, I mean, you, you did a bit of TV stuff as well, Elliot. Calendar TV, which, of course, was the TV show that I grew up watching. Yeah. Um, again, that was just sort of youthful enthusiasm and just being a bit cocky, really. I, I, dis I decided... It might have been Chris being good. I might have thought, hang on, I need to have another string to my bow here because he's going to get the breakfast show, is he, and I'm going to be shafted. So, I, no, I, I, out, of, out of nowhere, I just thought, I want to do TV. And I rang Cal... I mean, talk about, yeah, what sort of conf ridiculous overconfidence is that? So I just rang up, um, I think it was a bloke called Ali Rashid. I can't even remember where I got his details from. He, he was the editor. I think I just watched Calendar and it was like on the credits at the end. Right, he's, write that name down. And I rang him. I rang his office. Went, hi, can I speak to Ali Rashid, please? Who are you? I'm Elliot Webb from The Pulse. Who? Uh, I'm a radio presenter and I'm, I'm jolly good. Oh, right. Okay, can I speak to him? And, and they put me through and I ended up having this conversation with him. And he said, oh, have you got any experience? No, not really. What do you do? I'm on the radio. Oh, okay. Can I be on the telly? Um... Do you want to pop in for an interview? I mean, what the hell's that all about? So I ended up going over to Leeds, and 
and I think what it was, it was a mutual use, wasn't it, really? They, they needed someone to do the really early shifts because probably none of the journalists wanted to do it. So it was the, it was the whatever it was then, GMTV or TVAM or whatever, whatever the breakfast telly was for ITV. They had to do local news inserts to it, didn't they? So that was, that was what I did. So I did that for about a year. They, and they, they trained me from scratch. And I, again, I was a bit rubbish at it, but you do it enough times and you do it by the end of the year. I was actually all right and... There was a point I could have... They, they sort of said, oh, we want someone to do this permanently. They sort of said, we could train you to do it and you could go on journalism course. And I thought, oh, no, do you know, I, I still want to do radio. But they, Steve Martin let me do breakfast telly and do the evening show again. So I went from doing the breakfast show on the Pulse to doing the evening show on the Pulse, but also doing breakfast telly in the morning. And I was getting up at sort of three o'clock to go and do the telly. I came home, slept for about two hours and then went and did, did the evening show until Jeez. 10 o'clock. Which was not sustainable, even at, you know, 23, 24 years old. One thing I've realised, Elliot, is the confidence that you had. Yeah, and I don't know where it came All I can think was it was that, like I said, going back to my original bit of luck of getting into a boys' school that was a grammar school that became a posh school, they sort of give you this ridiculous, inflated self-confidence. <laughs> I think that's what you get if you pay for an education, that's it. And and <laughs> the ability to talk in a slightly plummy voice when you need to. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's worked for several prime ministers, isn't it? Let's be honest. So, <laughs> so um, I, uh, yeah, I think that was it. I, and the ridiculous thing is, as time has gone on, I've got a lot less confident because you, you do, as you, as you understand how a thing works, yeah. you don't dare be so presumptuous that you could do it. So I think it's that not knowing how, a th- how difficult a thing is. You just, you go, oh, I could do this. Anyone could do this. And, and yeah, so I, so I, did, I did that and then... Again, Steve Martin kind of did me a favour. He pulled me in the office and said, right, I'm not going to renew your contract. I'm like, what? He's like, I'm not going to renew your contract. You've got six months left. I'm not going to renew it. I'm like, why? What have I done? He went, he said, I want you to go and do something better than this. He said, you're you're good on the radio, but you've done the breakfast show. There's nothing else for you to do here. You're not doing telly because you've decided you don't want to do telly now. So on your bike, basically. And, he, and and I would probably have... Because at that point, I had a really lovely girlfriend I was happy with. I was getting quite... I'd been in Yorkshire for probably about five, six, seven years. And I probably would have stayed there. But Steve Martin was a great help. I think he was probably one of the real mentors of, of, of my career because he made me do stuff. that really sort of pushed you out of my comfort zone and, and got me to do things that I wouldn't have done otherwise. Well, I mean, I've, I've certainly not heard of anybody being such a help that they don't renew your contract. I mean, I'll be honest with you, Elliot. I'd shit myself if that's what they said to me. <laughs> yeah, but it was... I've had my contract not re- renewed in, since, and it's been a lot less well-received than that, let me tell you. But, um, no, because I think I sort of knew what he meant. I, I, he was either a brilliant bit of bullshit and he sold it incredibly well, or it was genuinely meant you know, to do the right thing. And it, and it did, because then I thought, well, I've got to get a job. And I started then sort of more seriously looking at the big stations and the, the stuff I really wanted to do. Um, and I'd been pumping out loads of stuff to Capital at that point. And um, I, yeah, I didn't, I got a couple of sort of warm rejections, you know, where you think, and you can tell the difference between a standard rejection, can't you? And if you've seen enough of them, you sort of get to know, don't you? It's like, okay, that's, that's a possible. And it was go away and just, 
carry on being a bit better and we'll, we'll, we'll think about it again, send us another tape. But in the meantime, I'd sent a tape off to, uh, to Galaxy. Um, well, it was, it, it was at that point, they'd just been bought by Chrysalis. And um, so again, similar kind of thing to, um, to what was happening with Metro. They'd just got a load of stations or they were just, well, they just, they bought, I think they bought a f- three or four. And one of the, one of the licenses they'd got was um, in Bristol. And it was, a, it was a pirate originally. And it was, it stood, it was FT, FTP, it was called, which stood for fuck the police, right? And that was, was that it? was what the station was. Was it? Yeah. But then, but what, but it, that, that license had become, Galaxy, they'd bid, they, they'd bid for this. They'd gone from this really small little community thing to this great big license, which was they were dishing out at that time. And so it was half of the southwest of England and a big chunk of South Wales. So, I, I you know, I'd been sending tapes out, and, and this, this was one of the ones they'd, they'd come to me and said, Oh, look, you know, do you fancy this? We're going to relaunch it. Same kind of thing as, as at the polls. We're going to relaunch it. It won't be what it is now. And they were going to chuck a load of money at it. Um, and I think they're just, they're, yeah, because they just, they just got Hart, hadn't they, in London at that point, and Hart up here in, in Birmingham. And this was, this was like the next thing of, of their, their sort of empire build. And um, yeah, so I, I, I ended up doing that. So I went to, to Galaxy in Bristol and did the launch of that. So, because it was, I mean, the, the big pairing was Cam and Sally, wasn't it, for years? Cam yeah, Kelly yeah, yeah. and Sally Bailey. Well, I was Cam for a year before. Cam was there, well, so Cam, you know, well, Cam uh, obviously a previous guest on uh, on Quantum yes. Roll, of course, who, who who talks about Sally a lot. I mean, how was your working relationship with Sally? Oh, she was. I loved Sally. She was great. She was. She's so nice. Um, yeah, not a, as opposed to when, like I said, with with Debbie, we were quite sort of. It was a bit competitive. Whereas me and Sally was genuinely like that brother sister thing. She was. She was so good and. And went along. and at that point again, I, I was sort of getting into um, rather than just the jocking thing because it was breakfast. I was thinking, right, I need to do more rather than just you know do the time checks and do the you know, do a few daft phone calls and stuff. I was I was trying. I was writing. I started doing quite a lot of writing, and I, I also was on my own. I didn't know anyone in Bristol, so I, I thought, well, I'll spend all day writing stuff or trying to come up with stuff for the show. Um, so I, I did do quite a lot of sketches and daft things and songs. And I mean, again, a lot of it was cheesy and looking back at it, it's, you know, I've got, I listened to some mini discs of it the other day and it, it's a bit rubbish, but it was, it was a bit of ambition, you know, something yeah, that's yeah, a bit yeah. different yeah, to absolutely. what, you know, and, and I think that, and, and again, Sally was part of that. She was, she was quite up for doing stuff and she'd help me with ideas and she'd do daft bits and pieces. I mean, the, one of the things we did there, we, um, they were doing a beach party. So this was sort of like, you know, sort of party in the park or you know, radio on road shows on the beach because obviously Western Supermare and Barry were in our TSA. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. we had these big gigs um, planned for, for for both of those. So to to publicise it, we were doing big ticket giveaways. So I said, well, why don't we do why don't we let's have, a, let's have a beach in the studio? So our bosses were like, yeah, yeah, fine. If, if yeah, if, if you can organise it and you want to do it, okay, fine. So we got a load of sand, and I said, we'll put plastic down. So we did it. We put plastic down in the stu- and we filled the, f- the studio full of sand and we got a load of inflatable, you know, bits and pieces and we all put our swimwear on and we did the breakfast show, giving away these tickets on this beach and we got a bit of local press and I think the telly came down and filmed it and, you know, so it, job done, we got the publicity. So that was on the, I think the Thursday and the Friday we did that. I got this really panicky phone call on 
I think it's like Sunday or something, from the engineer going absolutely mental, going, you've broken the studio, what have you done to the studio? I don't think I've done anything to the studio, we put plastic down, we've got to, no, no, you ordered the wrong sand, it's builder sand and it's wet. <laughs> And what happened is this, it all evaporated out of the sand. And I went into the studio on the Monday morning and everything was dripping. <laughs> and it was, it all like condensed on the computers and That's on the hilarious. desk. And it had taken us off air for the weekend. I'm like, oh my God. So, yeah, we had, we had to spend the next day shoveling sand out of the studio. <laughs> so that wasn't a highlight, but they didn't sack me. Now, um, after Galaxy 101, we get yeah. on to... And I, I, I'm not a huge anorak, so before I obviously eventually worked at BRB myself, I wasn't really aware of Les Ross, which I know mm. will offend a lot of people. No, same. So, same. So, Genuinely the same. I, I didn't. So I, I always see you, and, and Caroline, of course, you know, works with you and is a very dear friend of both of mm. ours. She'll mm -hmm. hate me for saying this, but I always saw you as Mr. BRB. And this is, of course, you where you went, went to next. So in 97, I mean, as time goes on, BR&B &B got less and less, let's be honest. I mean, by the time I did breakfast there, there was about three people listening. Yeah, but I mean, who even were you? I don't, who knows? <laughs> I didn't know myself. I'm only joking. That was the alcohol. But I mean, when you, back in 97, I mean, BR&B &B was an absolute beast of a station, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, that was... That was, that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to work. And I don't know why. I probably, but again, it all goes back to bloody Sean Tilly, doesn't it? And, and Mulvan Hills. That's listening it. to Foxy on all Capital, right. right? That's probably what it, I wanted to work on Capital. I didn't want to work on Radio 1. I don't know why. All the anoraks listening will go, why don't you want to work on Radio 1? It's the national state. I thought it was a bit rubbish compared to Capital. I heard Capital and thought, because remember the Radio 1 lineup at that point was still going to be, you know, DLT and oh, good morning, smashy, all the smashy and nicey that, that was then taken apart, rightly so, by Matthew Bannister. So, but Capital wasn't, Capital was like banging and it was really hot and it owned London. And I thought, I want a bit of that. So I, I was hammering tapes into, into London. And when I was at Galaxy, actually, I got, they came to me, one of the, they bit on one of the tapes and it was, you, you, um, you either had you had a conversation with Richard Park or you had a conversation with, with Clive Dickens, right? And uh, so I found out afterwards, this is all, this is post, right? If your conversation was with Clive Dickens, you weren't going to work on Capital. All right, okay. I had a meeting with Clive Dickens. <laughs> <laughs> and the Capital carrot was dangled big style. So, and, and you know, fair play. So he came up and met me in Bristol. He's like, mate, mate, yeah, you want to work for us? It's great. It's going to be brilliant. Yeah, it's, we're going to recreate capital in Birmingham. Birmingham, obviously, can't say Birmingham, Birmingham. <laughs> um, and, it, but, and then, but he wasn't even that. He said, but first of all, you have to go to Kent. I'm like, what? So he's, he said, we've got a position come up on Invictor. I went, I don't even really know what that is. It's a, it, I mean, obviously, it's a radio station, but I've never heard it. And I don't know where Kent is. Um, and then, of course, the fat wallet comes out. And he's like, right, well, we'll sign a contract now. If you sign the contract now, we'll give you 10 grand. I'm like, what? Obviously, I signed the contract, you know. <laughs> yes, of course, yeah. what, what would you do? I mean, 10 grand was a lot of money then. So, yeah, so that was it. So I, I had to hand my notice in at Galaxy. I, I mean, I, I was coming up to the end of my, my contract anyway. And I was a bit, I was a bit gutted to be fair, because I, I, with hindsight, I wish I'd stayed there longer, because it was good and really, I know we had a good show and it was going well, I think. And then they did this whole thing where they tried to kind of keep me, 
they were like, well, we'll give you, okay, we'll give you more money, whatever they've given you, and we'll give you a shift on Heart in London if you want to be in London. So I went back to Clive and said that. He went, if, mate, if ever you work on Heart in London, you're dead to us because that's an old person's radio station, mate. You don't want that. I'm like, oh, shit, what do I do now? <laughs> so anyway, so I, yes, I signed. I signed and didn't end up having to go to Kent because... I was sort of dreading it. I mean, it would have been fine. I'm sure. In Kent, and Victor was a great station, and arguably that would have been better to be heard in London because it's banging out all over London. Loads of people from from Victor ended up on Capital. So, you know, again, that was. <laughs> I went. I went to posh school, but had no grasp of geography of the you know the British Isles. So, I, I wanted to go to Birmingham because it was, you know, sort of home. It was. It was the Midlands, and. Yeah, the, the, he he rang me. Clive sort of rang me up one day and went, right, um, you, 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 we're not going to forget forget the plan of going to do uh, to do evenings there. You're going to go and do evenings in in Birmingham, and I was like, yeah, happy days, thank you very much. So that, so that was that was how it started. I did evenings there, uh, and then did drive. Um, I can't. I've, I did. I think I did every show on on the on the schedule. Who, who was your Who was your initial boss that boss when you went to to BRMB then? It was well. Clive Dickens ran it hands on for a right, little okay. bit, and then we we had Son of God come and work for us, didn't we? We had uh, Paul Jackson come, who is of course Richard course. Park's son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jacks Jackson Park, but he's Jackson Paul Park, but he goes by the name Paul Jackson as his work name. Um, and and I got on really well with him. We got on, you know, pretty well. He, he's a character. Um, I've never, I genuinely, for someone who's had such a sort of. I think anyone who's worked in commercial radio has a park story or has, you know, some kind of, um, you know, dazzlement by Richard Park. But I've, ne I've never met the bloke. But his oh, son, I've, I've, you know, I've, I've had many, many, many dealings with his son. Um, so, he, yeah, and he ran it. And it was just big and brash and baldy and exactly, exactly as advertised they were doing. And they throwing loads of money at it, owning the city, doing... Um, I mean, we did a, we did a music... Uh, I hosted uh, like a music awards thing, which was exactly like the Brits at the NEC. You know, it was that was huge. Um, I think Central televised that. We did the the, the wedding. We did two strangers in a wedding, well, which we, was um, by that point I was covering breakfast. Oh, were you? Yeah, because um, yeah, because whenever Les was off, I covered it, and and Les didn't probably rightly didn't want anything to do with two strangers in a wedding. He oh, thought, really? it was a, yeah, he thought it was a shocking idea. <laughs> he was probably right. Um, <laughs> okay, but, so hang on, Elliot. This is interesting. So I didn't know this. So you were merely covering breakfast. Yeah, yeah, I was covering it. It was it when was ninety nine. I didn't do breakfast till two thousand and one. That's when I started it. Okay, so, so I yeah, so I so Les Les didn't want any of it, and I was all over it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, come on, let's have some of this because this is this is big, and. But again, lucky, you know, I keep going back to luck, I think, in my career, because we didn't think it would be anywhere near as big as it was, because we nicked it. It was a stolen idea. We nicked it from an Australian radio station. They did it. The only twist was we actually made it a legal ceremony. It, the Australian one, it was, I don't know, like a commitment ceremony or something, some old thing where you could just walk away from it. This was, we managed to persuade the, 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 like the legal team and the marketing team, managed to find... Um, somebody who would actually, uh, you know, a, a registrar who actually would legally marry them. So that was the the, the sort of times 10 bit. So, yeah, we did it. And I, I think we thought, okay, this would be good, we'll get a bit of publicity, but it went absolutely bonkers. It was it was on the news at 10 when it happened. We, we, it was the actual lead story that night on... I can't remember who was doing it, but it was, it was you know, someone 
a BBC newsreader of Gravitas going at a radio station in Birmingham has today married two complete strangers. Cue to a bit of me stood like an absolute muppet between them on the telly. It was <laughs> surreal. You've got the church laying into you. It's like we're... And then, you know, careful what you wish for. I want to do a bit more telly. You get wheeled out onto... I was on all sorts of chat shows having to defend it and... But it was great. And it was, we had this ridiculous pretense of um, pretending it was this social experiment. The line was, it's a, it's a very important social experiment looking at the, the relevance of, of marriage in, in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a publicity stunt. And you're all falling for it. I mean, um, it's, it's, it's amazing because people, you know, we still talk about two strangers, don't we? We, we still talk about it now. Well, you've got... But you've got thing on the telly now, haven't you? What's that married at first sight? I, oh, I was talking yeah. to someone the other day who said to me, and, and she's a lot younger, she's a, a journalist, a mate of mine, and she said, oh, if, if you, you must have watched, you must have watched uh, Married at First Sight on Channel 4. Yeah, it's a great show. And I just, I didn't say anything, but I thought, no, because we did it, mate. We've done it, we did it years ago. We invented it. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, it was an extraordinary thing to be involved with. And it, I think it got a life of its own. It just became... Yeah, I, to the point that I don't think they they couldn't really handle it. It got because obviously then you had the um, they split up very publicly and that all got quite nasty and um, and then of course Carla ended up with Jeremy Kyle. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you know, and it's people still of all the things I've done, that's the thing people mention if they're going to mention a thing. It's it's that. So I've got I've had I've had you know the, the the slightly rubbish band I've had two hits I've had the launch of the pulse and two strains at a wedding so those those are my recurrent greatest hits but it's but that's 25 years ago now and it was it was pre reality TV because Big Brother was the following year so I don't think anyone quite it was it was sort of zeitgeisty because there was a lot of, sort of fly on the wall documentaries and things and you know real people on telly but and on the radio but this was I don't, I don't think kind of we expected it to do what it did. We mentioned Les Ross before. Of course, you eventually take over Les to do breakfast full time. How was that experience taken over from you know Les, who's done breakfast for four million years? Pretty tough. I mean, it wasn't even a straight line to get there. I didn't go straight from because I I got I got nearly sacked again after doing that. Paul Paul Jackson decided what he, one on the Friday we had a load of rage. Jar, and he said I was doing drive at this point, um, and the figures were a bit rubbish. And he went, don't worry. It's fine. Go away and have a nice weekend. We'll talk about it on Monday. Gets me in the office on Monday. Went. I've had to think about it. You're off. Oh, <laughs> but really? he did. But this was the, but this was the funny bit. So BRMB had the radio cafe at that point. Like there was one in London in Leicester Square, and we had one on, on Broad Street. So studios upstairs. If people don't know, cafe downstairs. You have bands in, and it was a really cool idea. I mean, it didn't. Yeah. I'm a terrible business idea, but for publicity, great. So we were in the radio cafe and we all used to eat for free, basically, eat and drink for free. So we lived in this place. Wow. So meetings used to happen in this place. I put on about four stone during this period. <laughs> and so I went down, had this meeting with Paul Jackson and he says, uh, right, some bad news. We're going to take you off. We're not going to renew your contract. Anyway, as we're out, should we make a night of it? And I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, we're out. Should we, you know, should we have a bit of food and some drinks? You just basically sacked me. Oh, okay. Didn't think you'd take it like that. Well, how did you think I was going to take it? <laughs> so that was a bit bizarre. But then, and then he left. Okay, so I did again. I was running out of my contract. I had about three, four months left on it. He was going, and then at that, this was the, the whole period when um, when global was happening. So um, we were sort of in the process of being bought, um, 
And we ended up with, I can't remember who ended up running us, but basically they decided that they didn't want to get rid of me after all. They gave me a new contract for six months and I ended up doing, I think, mornings then. So I was back on the radio, which was a bit weird, um, covering Les still. And then, um, yeah, then they decided to to actually take the plunge and get rid of him. And I think they, they'd been wanting to do it. And again, this is no disrespect to Les. I mean, I, I know Les, he's a lovely man. But I think, again, like Tarrant, it's like, how, how do you solve a problem like someone who's been on the radio for, yeah. for 26 years? You, you just have to do it. And you rip the plaster off, and that was what they did. Um, and it was two, essentially two different radio stations. You had, you know, the audience for when Les was on, yeah. and then the rest of the day. Um, so that was that was what they did. And, and, and it was... Um, it was. It was. I, it was. A, I can't really remember. Maybe I've blotted it out. It wasn't as horrible as as I thought it was going to be. It was weird. And whenever you take over something like that, it's never going to go brilliantly to start with. Of course, it isn't. And you get loads of kickback. I mean, it was pre-social media, thank God. So, you know, you just had people ringing you up and calling your names down the phone. Um, but yeah, could you imagine it now? <laughs> Taking over from Leicester, you know, Twitter. Kicking. Twitter would be fun. <laughs> there, is, there is something actually which I, I wanted to bring up. So in 2007, you were taken off breakfast mm. and then you were, you were reinstated a few dates yeah. later. Now, obviously I'm, I'm friends as, as you are with Caroline. We were talking about you and that, that situation and she wasn't sure what happened there. I don't know if she was playing along with a publicity thing or if you were... What was the reasoning behind that? I don't know. I still don't know to this day. I think... Because because it was um, Adam Bridge was the boss then wasn't it? But it was very much it was I, I lose track of the timeline even now. I think was that G Cap era? I think it was wasn't it? Was that that yeah. was the car crash of Capital and GWR together? I think yeah. Um, and I think what happened with that was that basically this the show figures we'd had a, a, a ropey book and I think they sort of said well you need to change something so um, Adam get rid of him. Because Adam said to me, he said, I, I don't really want to do this, but I've been told to. Oh, really? Which, again, might have been a bluff, I don't know. But I mean, I know Adam, and I think he's a reasonable bloke, and he'd probably tell yeah, me. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't really matter now, does it? But, um, but yeah, so I, it was either a publicity stunt gone really... But it was a rubbish publicity stunt. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't done well. It was even worse than the block of ice at BRMB. We can't even talk about that, can we? Because well, I mean, <laughs> Caroline has. I mean, I obviously have heard about the block of ice several times. I mean, I, I do want to. We can't move over BRMB too swiftly because you were there for such you know a long period of time, and I, I'm, I'm guessing the highlight of your career would have been at BRMB, would it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was. I don't again. Again, I don't mean this diminishingly to anyone's career, right? But I think if you've worked on a massive heritage station. At its peak, and 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 let's be honest. Right, I was the back end of it. I was again lucky. That's that's gone, isn't it? Those even if you're on Capital in London now, Capital in London is not what Capital in London once was. And I don't mean that horribly to the people there. They're great presenters, and it's it's a brilliant product. It's it's amazing. It's what it is. But it is, it's it's a much bigger thing, isn't it? It's a whereas the you had these sort of like Key was like it, and and BRMB and and Capital, these big. They owned the city, and they were very much of that of the city. Capital now is it, they've done a really good job of making something quite generic, brilliant. Because it is Heart and Capital are amazing brands; they just are. But that's the world we live in now. It's brands, isn't it? Whereas these were sort of, you know, it was like a, I suppose it, it, it's a bit like a an enormous department store that you know cities used to have department stores that everyone went to. I suppose your local ILR original ILR station was like that. It was. 
it was of that place and of that city, but it was also big and massive and everybody loved it. And yeah. and I mean, inevitably that was going to end as competition happened. It's just, it, that, that's that's kind of what happened. But that, but at the end, when I was there, it was just sort of on the tail end of that. And it was it was brilliant. It was, you could just, you, um, Tom Ross, the, the, the sports guy there, we, he, he would sort of jokingly go, hey, look at this, lads. It's our city, this. And he was right. It was, you know, you you would be able to go into a bar and say you were from BR&B and you'd get a drink, you know, you get you could eat for free, you'd get in places. I mean, I know that sounds incredibly shallow, but it was... No, but it was great. It was good it was fun. Great. Yeah, it, was great. it was really good fun. And just, just the events they would put on, you know, just doing the stuff like the party in the parks and seeing the traction it had and having kids waiting outside for you to sign things and stuff and outside the radio cafe and... You know, you don't get that. It, it's the closest to being famous that I've been. You know, I, I, I'll say to my other half, I jokingly go, oh, you, know, you know, when I was Elliot Webb. You know, it's like, because <laughs> it, it, it was, it was a bit, it was a bit showbiz. The, the, they made, um, again, they did it for Capital, they did it for us. They made the same TV advert for us as they did for Capital. That's how kind of big it was. I remember spending two days on my knees in Acton, um, on a massive, they actually built a physical set that was like a cityscape. Of this is pre-CGI, so they had to physically build models with a great big green screen behind them. And we were walking through these bloody things like giants, and and I had to. There was a they built a roundabout, but it was a turntable, so I'm on my knees like scratching this roundabout, <laughs> and it, this advert was, and it, it was the most ridiculous thing, and it must have cost them an absolute fortune, and. And yeah, they made this, and it was on in the cinema and stuff, and it was on the telly, and yeah, it was like, Jesus, this is actually, this is quite big time. And, and you know, for a, a little lad from Worcester who sort of fumbled his way into this, it's, I don't quite know I've ended up here. We do need to talk about working with Caroline, because of course I, I ended up working with Caroline at the BBC and became very, very good friends with Caroline, who I love now. I mean, how was your experience? Because she... You never know, do you? I mean, if you talk to the no. two guys that I've ever worked with, you know, Tom and Giuliano, behind closed doors, they might call me an arsehole. But, you know, I mean, Caroline says nothing but wonderful things about you. Well, and I say nothing but wonderful things about Caroline because we, on the surface of it, it shouldn't have worked, really. We were very, very different people. But again, I go back to that original thing with with breakfast show pairings. You're either two people who get on or you're two people who, and I'm not saying we didn't get on, but you're or you're different. Do you know what I mean? Is it because... It's that thing, like I said, doing a double-headed show or doing a multi-presenter show is a hard thing, right? And we, you, you only do, as you, as you do it, you get to sort of work out that there's nothing more boring than, in, than agreeing on things. If there are lots of, if there's three people all sat around going, yeah, yeah, I like cheese as well. Yeah, cheese is good, isn't it? What's your favourite cheese? Oh, yeah, I like this cheese. That cheese, cheese is great. <laughs> you want someone in the mix who's going, cheese is shit. Because then that's where the tension is, isn't it? That's where you have the... Banter and the you know and I hate that word banter but you know what I mean you have that's where you yeah. and 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 roles is a big thing as well we 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 did a lot of um, capital paid for uh, Dennis Clark to come over you know you were Dennis yes. Clark the consultant yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. who used to do Elvis Duran at Z100 hey it's Dennis Clark and he would come in swan in he'd come in on his uh, you know he'd be wafted in on some expensive first class flight from from LA and we we you know go out and have dinner with him and then he'd come and tell us. Actually, some really good stuff, and a lot of the what work he did was on roles, on on taking a role and sticking to it. And I think we sort of me and Caroline cracked that. She was because she was the mum, 
And she was a mom. I mean, it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't a massive reach because she was the slightly more sensible, chatty mom. You know, exactly as Caroline is. And I was at that point probably what was I sort of early thirties, mid thirties, slightly, you know, daft, lost in showbiz, dickhead a bit. And it, but it sort of, it, you know, that was the. In, in in that kind of conflict that it was was never real conflict, you get the, the 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 sort of the entertainment, I suppose. But it was yeah, she was an absolute joy to work with. She was really lovely and a, and a great ally. And I think we, it was towards the end, it was tough. There was a lot of stuff going on. I mean, it wasn't handled very well. BRMB was sort of shoved from pillar to post. I mean, shameful really for the size of the license for it to end up kind of how it did. But because of all the rules of ownership. They had to offload something. We were, we got offloaded. The sale took forever. They weren't spending any money on it. And at that peak sort of time of, of competition, you had to sort of advertise and market, and none of that was happening. So the figures were falling off a cliff. And, you know, we were we were getting a pretty crappy deal of it. We were getting, you know, very long. <laughs> and, and, of course, our boss was was Caroline's husband. So that was surreal as well. So we'd be we'd be ending up in this goldfish bowl in, in the because it was a glass office, so everyone's sort of watching through the glass of us all sort of mouthing obscenities at each other. Uh, and usually then me and the producer was this girl called Liesl, I'm sure Caroline's told you plenty about Liesl, yeah, yeah, who's yeah. now on Hallam, and she's a legend as well. She's bloody lovely. But so it'd be me and Liesl, sort of like the kids cowering in the corner while mum and dad had a go at each other. So <laughs> it was thoroughly, thoroughly dysfunctional by the end. Caroline, but, Car- but Caroline, great, just took, you know? Caroline just took about occasionally that you used to crawl on your knees and... Crawl under the Adam, who of course was the boss's window, so that he didn't see you trying to get out of the yeah. office. Yeah, because <laughs> at that point you were just getting, you know, I I remember having ridiculous conversations, not even necessarily with Adam, but with some of the the Australian consultants and management. It's like, yeah, mate, why did you say that the way you said it? I don't know because it's not scripted, mate. That's why because. Yeah, radio is an immediate medium, isn't it? You you say things, and okay, yes, with hindsight, but that's called editing. You know what I mean? You, that's why you pre-record something. But on a live broadcast, you have an idea of where you're going, but you might not say stuff exactly the way you know you think I should say it. And I used to argue, Foxy. That's the problem. You see, instead of just going yes, I'd actually have an argument with them, which probably wasn't a good idea. But it would be best to just crawl crawl under the window to try and avoid it. That was often what happened. I, I don't. I, I think the point where I realised that when people come in to consult, it was never a good thing. Was I don't know if you got invited to the Elvis Duran when he came to Manchester, but we went. No. And there was a lot of breakfast shows there, and um, Elvis Duran was there. He was doing a talk, and all the bosses were very excited. You know what programmers are like? You need to listen to this guy. He's you know he's the king. Mm. He knows what he's talking about. And then it was somebody I can't, I can't remember the old. I think it was his surname is Sweeney. He was on he was on Q and O three, and then he went Mike to Mike Sweeney. That's it, legend. Him? Hey, Mike yeah. Sweeney. That's it. He, yeah. he stood up, because at the end, uh, Elvis went, hey, has anybody got any questions? And he, he stood up, he went, yeah, I've got a question. What do you think to fucking time checks? <laughs> Which, of course, you <laughs> know. Very Sweeney, all, yeah. Yeah, and they all get, that gets ran down your throat, doesn't it, <laughs> for people that don't, haven't worked in the industry. And Elvis Ram went, yeah, um, I think there are a lot of shit. And at that point, all the programmers got us up and got us out of the room quickly. <laughs> Stop listening now. Stop listening. Yeah, yeah, don't listen to what yeah, you're no, but, but if this, if you, if you want an example of the the, the, the voodoo nonsense of consultancy, right? 
Um, going back to Dennis, Dennis Clark once said, we were having dinner, and I, are you making small talk? And I'm like, so how's it been? You busy? All this kind of stuff. He said, oh, yeah, it's been swell. I've been really busy. I've been uh, over in Finland. I'm like, why? Well, I've been doing some work with one of the breakfast teams there on Finland FM or whatever it was. And I'm like, can you speak Finnish then? He's like, oh, no, you just get a vibe. Oh. I'm like, What? <laughs> I said, you don't know what they're saying. Oh, you don't need to. Yes, you do. No, you do. <laughs> That's it. That's it. See, that's the prime example. It was a technical problem. You heard something on there you shouldn't have done. Oh, yeah. I think it's worth mentioning as well that, I mean, of course, I mean, this is incredible. You ended up covering the chart as well in 2003. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really know how that happened either. <laughs> I only did it once, so I couldn't have been very good at it. Ignition was number one by R. Kelly. I remember that. Oh, okay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Mm. <laughs> yeah. um, and I got to interview Danny Minogue. That was lovely. She she was she was nice. Um, no, that was that was great. I mean, again, that was what a, what a ridiculous thing to do. I think I might have done it before Hursty as well. I think you. Gosh, did. She won't she won't be happy about that. Um, but it was no, it was I covered for Foxy when he, when you know, he was doing it, and it was yeah, that was again silly, big time, just exciting and being stood in, you know, in the Capitol Studios. And I did quite a lot of cover at weekends and the bits and bobs for, for them at the weekends as well on, on Capitol in London. But again, I, I, I saw again quite early realised, even doing that, that just playing lots of music and doing speed links, crunch and rolls, um, I, I wasn't that into it. And I remember, I remember one point I was doing a weekend show. I can't remember what it was. I think afternoon, Saturday afternoon or something on Capital in London. And I was looking at, at Leicester Square, thinking this is quite cool, but I'm a bit bored because it's, it's, yeah. And I've, I've, maybe that, maybe that's sort of it. I've always, it's, it's sort of. I think it's, it's more, it's better. I think to do a better show on a smaller station because you'll get to do more. If you, yeah, you're on a, a big format station, you, you are going to have to, unless you are you know, Johnny Vaughan or Chris Tarrant, and of which I, I, I am not, then you, you're going to have to play by the rules, aren't you? Whereas at least if you are, you know, BRMB breakfast, you will get to do what you want pretty much, and we did. That, that day that you left BRMB, having been, in my eyes, and many eyes, Mr BRMB, how, how did that feel that, that final time you walked out of that building? Hmm. I was gutted, really. It was, yeah, I was really sad to go. Um... I wasn't surprised, if I'm being honest, because it was... I mean, I, I dodged so many bullets there before, you know, as, as we've discussed a few times, that my my um, previous sacking slash not con no contract renewal offered. But um, the, th this was when Orion came in, and obviously they, the, the figures were pretty pants at that point, and you've got to do something, haven't you? And what, what's the one thing you're going to change? You're going to change the breakfast show. If you wanted to make a statement... Um, so I, I sort of expected it. I thought they might have kept me on, doing something but also I was quite expensive at that point again without being you know Billy Big Potatoes this was the sort of tail end of the big money in, in commercial radio and it was six figures so I can sort of see as a business sense why you would um, but it just all felt a bit sad it was it, like anything you know it, I thought what we I thought what we were doing yeah by the end it was a bit messy and I think me and Caroline probably by our own admission we got a bit self-indulgent and it was all getting a bit daft but that's mostly because no one was paying any attention so we were just doing like karaoke sessions on a Friday on air um, <laughs> just doing ridiculous phone-ins about absolute nonsense 
um, the phone taps were getting more and more outrageous that we wind up phone calls we were doing was just people swearing for, you know, beeps, beep, beeps endlessly. For, and it probably wasn't great to listen to. So, um, however, I, the one thing I do feel sad about on the last day, and I will say this because I've never actually said it to his face, but I probably ought to apologise to David Lloyd because despite the fact he didn't renew my contract, he came bounding in like an excited puppy at the end of our last show and went, this is great, guys. So I told him to fuck off. <laughs> And, and I apologise, David, for that, because I shouldn't have done, because it was mean, and it was meant from a nice place. And I, so, so as I was leaving, carrying my things, I thought, not only am I leaving, I've shut my bed a bit, and I feel a bit bad about that. So I'm sorry, David. But what did you say that for, you fool? Stupid well, thing to say. Having worked with David for many years, and I, I do respect and admire the man for his, his radio talents, I, I, he's, he's not the type of character to, to hold a grudge. I'm sure he's... Good. I have spoken well. to him since, but it was, it, was, it was a little cool. And I just wondered if... He, he probably hasn't even remembered. But I'd like, there it is. It's on the record, David. I'm very sorry. <laughs> well, of course, you, you leave the mighty BR&B and then you do various stations, Hart Gloucester, uh, BBC WM, BBC Shropshire. You do, and now you've, you've ended up, you're back home. Back you've home, gone, yeah. You've gone back home. Yeah. That, that must feel really strange. It is really strange. Well, I just saw, I ended up just freelancing. And in, I suppose in some ways, it, it, maybe it has kind of come full circle because I didn't really pay my dues, I don't think, at the beginning. So maybe I did it at that point. So 2009, I didn't have any work at all. So I just thought the phone was going to ring, and it didn't. Um, and then, of course, by that point, they were stripping out local shows from here, there and everywhere, so there's hardly any work going anyway. Yeah. Um, so it was just a question of just getting on your bike and going here, there and everywhere. Um, and, I, yeah, I did, God, I did all sorts of stuff. I did three shows in one day. Well, I did, I did breakfast on um, Smooth Nottingham, so East, East Midlands. Came back in, I think I did a lunchtime or afternoon show on Signal. And then drove down and did the late show on WM, and it was it was nuts. <laughs> but you, as freelance, you do, don't you? And if you yeah. if you freelance, you know what it's like. You just cannot turn anything down, and it's impo it's impossible. You you say yes to absolutely everything. So I did that for about um, probably about two years, three years, and then I started doing more BBC stuff because that was again going back to you know sitting in Leicester Square and thinking, and actually Hart as well. I'm I'm sorry Hart, but some of that was a bit boring. Just, you know, five in a row, speed link, that, that kind of stuff. It's a bit soul-destroying, especially as you're the only person in the building, often at the weekend and things like that. And, you know, I, I like being around people. And so I started doing a bit more BBC stuff. And, and then I, I sent some, quite a few tapes around and a chap called Jeremy Pollock um, yes, got Jeremy. in touch. Who, he, I mean, you know, I'm sure quite a few people in the Midlands know. He was, at that point, well, he, he was the assistant editor at WM. Then he went to run Coventry in Warwickshire and, and then became the gaffer, my gaffer, at, at, at BBC Hereford and Worcester. And again, probably one of the most important people in my career because he, he got me from jockeying to doing what I do now which is, I think, proper broadcasting. And again, that I don't, I, I'm sorry, I don't really like saying that because that's, again, it's a real skill being able to play tunes, it is. But I think what I do now is more akin to journalism. And again, I don't want to sound pompous saying that, but I think it is. Doing, oh, gee, a, I, doing a breakfast I, show on the BBC, on an all-speech station, you have to have more about you than just being able to crank out the hit. The, the way I described it, having gone from commercial to the BBC, is, is, is rugby league to rugby union. Mm. It's, yeah. there's, it's, it's similar, but there are different rules. What is quite sad with the BBC, and I, I, I have to be a little bit cautious here because bear in mind I'm still employed by them and I want to remain that way, <laughs> but there's been a lot of changes and there's been a lot of mad stuff going on. But I think what is a bit tragic is they seem to think that 
if you're again you have to be journalistic you have to be have a certain intelligence and a sort of interest in the news to do it but just because you're a journalist doesn't mean you're a presenter and they don't I don't think that is a distinction that they quite get and I think you you know you were very good at it and there are there are people um, who've done there are people I mean Tammy Gooding who I work with Tony McDonald they've all done commercial radio and I think okay I'm biased because I work with them they are some of the best people on BBC local radio because they've got the radio skills and they don't they don't te- it's just forward all the simple boring stuff about you know forward progression teasing ahead all that stuff that you t- completely taken for granted and you'll get your legs slapped if you don't do it in commercial radio identing the bloody radio station you hear so many people up and down the country on BBC local radio station opening the microphone and going oh hello yes well, that's a lovely song isn't it it's a, uh, five minutes past eight anyway here's, uh, here's our gardener coming what station am I listening to do you know what I mean there's no Radio 101 with some of this stuff it's just you know <laughs> And it just makes me a little bit cross, and it doesn't. It shouldn't be like that. But Je- but Jeremy Pollock kind of got that. He was he's a good radio person. He's he's and he was one of the people who took VR. He he took um, redundancy, and I think you know someone like him probably should have actually been promoted to running more of it because um, he knows his stuff. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, um, Elliot, we, we we've come to present day, and. Mm. We've kind of skipped over because you got lots of awards. You got into podcasting early on, um, presenting flaps yeah. and. I mean, who, who wants podcast? to do a podcast these days? I mean, <laughs> when we when we did it, mate, like, there were none. There were hardly any. That's that's probably why we won a Sony for it because there wasn't much competition. Uh, yeah, flaps you, about yeah. about flying. Yeah, for, and, for, and, you, yeah. and you did that with a mutual friend, Jinnah, who of course yeah, was the Zoe lovely Jinnah. Yeah, yeah. top top I've man. Got, actually, I just realised I've gone. The whole, I haven't mentioned Jinnah. He's going to sulk if I don't. He did. Did you know? Has he ever told you he used to work on Radio One? Has he told you that? I think he's mentioned it a few times. Yeah, he used yeah. to work with Zoe Ball. Do you know that? Has he mentioned yeah. that? Thinky, yeah, a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> he's a top man. He's a well, lovely look, man, Elliot. As always, I, I, I know that you have done voiceover work, haven't you? <laughs> I have. Yes. Can you give us just a couple of examples of not? I mean, just just give us the clients. Don't actually do the reads, but what what you know? What kind of voiceover work would we have, or will we hear you on? Well, weirdly, one of the when I first started doing stuff at the BBC because I was working with lots of young journalists and they didn't really kind of know any of my backstory, and then one day one of them came up very excitedly and went, "Oh my god." You're the voice of Mazuma Mobile, aren't you? The, the, the phone recycling thing with the dancing phone. Fa- That's you! Got an old phone that's just lying around. And, and they used to make me do it. They go, go on, do it. Do the voice. I don't want to do the bloody voice. So, <laughs> thousand quid, I'll do the voice, yeah. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, I've, I've, I still do quite a bit of that sort of thing. Um, yeah, because you do, don't you? Why, why wouldn't you? I, it's, it's a nice thing to do. It's, it's easy money. And, and until AI completely ruins it all, it's, uh, it's still there, isn't it? <laughs> well, um, just two more things before we get yes. to the, the end credits. Um, firstly, I just wanted to say thank you so much for your time. It's been genuinely fascinating to listen to you. No, thank you. It's, it's actually been quite nice talking about it if I'm being honest it's, it, it's quite nice to have a good old look back and take stock I'm going to be a dad can I just say that as well I know I'm, congratulations I've never, I've never got around to doing it I've, I've waited till I'm 52 so I can bore him with this because well, I you know let's not be morbid but you know I'm going to be 70 when he's 18 right yeah. so if nothing else I can give him this and go yeah, that, that was your old man 
Have yeah, that. I, I didn't know if it was public knowledge, but congratulations, Elliot. That's amazing. <laughs> I wasn't and, fishing. Uh, I, I I'll have a present. Say, yeah, go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wanted to say thank you. I also wanted to say um, you do the best impression of Tom Ross on the planet, so congratulations <laughs> on that. Hey, hey. Brilliant. Shut it, pal. <laughs> Shut it. And um, just one question before we, we get you to do the end credits. It, it, who would you like to hear on Crunch and Roll? God, yeah, that's a difficult question because there are so many people, aren't there? There's so many good people out there. Do you, actually, do you know what? Right, and I, and I say this, as, and this is a little bit raw at the moment. I'm at the in the process at the moment of doing what I did for Les Ross, having to take over from Les Ross, right, after 26 years. I'm having to do the same. Again, it doesn't give me any great pleasure. I'm having to sit in the giant seat of Malcolm Boyden, who is a legend and a, do you know what Malcolm is is a genius at creating worlds of radio he's great at that whole kind of um you know just drawing you in and being daft and that whole thing that I mean okay like Kenny Everett was the absolute zenith of it but it's that sort of thing it's playing with sound and doing daft bits and Malcolm's great at that and and yeah at the moment it's quite tough sort of filling his boots so get him on and he he's an interesting chap. He's a sports journalist by training. Oh, is he? Which I didn't know, yeah. Don't blame yeah. I didn't know that. And, and, a, and a brilliant broadcaster. So, yeah, Malcolm Boyden. We'll put that on the list. Well, Elliot Webb, thank you very much for your time. Do you mind taking us home with the end credits? You've been listening to Crunch and Roll with me, Elliot Webb. Subscribe on your favourite podcast app to get new episodes as soon as they drop. Crunch and Roll is a 969 media production presented by John Fox and produced by Simon... I can't say your surname, Simon. (laughs) (laughs) It was going well, wasn't it?